Good morning. If you have a Bible, would you turn to Psalm 40 this morning? Psalm 40, or you can scan the QR code that'll be on the screens if you like to follow along on an electronic device. Psalm 40, we're in this series, as you might guess, Psalms. So this morning we're talking about the Lord is my rescuer. If you need a Bible, slip a hand up. We've got ushers coming down the aisles. You can borrow one. This morning you can keep it, take it home if you need one. Thanks for being here this morning and those joining us online, those in Kindred and in our tradition service, worshiping in different places, worshiping the same God, same teaching. I just want to give you a heads up that uh, at the end of today's message, we do this on occasion. Um, Lori mentioned that on Sunday mornings we gather at 815 and we pray down front. We have a prayer team and you're always welcome to join us on any Sunday at 815 right down front. Um, But after the service today, after I'm done preaching, we'll have another worship song, but we're going to invite people forward for prayer. Maybe you've been here when we've done that. Uh, maybe you haven't, but it's a really special time. Lori and I will be down here, and then any elders are in the room, if you can be prepared. And please, if you want to bring your spouse with you, you can do that. So our pastors and spouses, we can gather in different places if need be, wherever the Lord leads you. But if you need prayer this morning, um, feel free to come down front. And I'll tell you again at the end of the service, when you come, just even if we're best friends, um, just say your name uh, to us and then, and then what it is you're asking for prayer for. We'd love to stand in the gap with you and pray for you. When we read the Psalms, uh, it's easy to read them as a standalone uh, Psalm, like from Psalm 1 and then Psalm 2 and then Psalm 3 and so forth. But while some of the Psalms are standalone, of course, there's many of them that are grouped together. And this morning is one of those uh, that's grouped together. And so we see Psalm 37, 38, 39, and 40. But one of the central themes of this Psalm, Psalm 40, is this idea, is to wait on the Lord. David found himself in a season of desperation and helplessness, in great need of God's mercy, in great need of God's rescue, as we will see the painful self-examination of his own heart, and in some ways, the revealing and the crisis of the sin that was being revealed. And as we'll see this morning, his his desperation was most likely twofold. Uh, One piece could be a sickness that we read about in Psalm chapter 38, and another piece could be the sin that was being revealed. But in either case, it's this idea and, and this this desire to wait upon the Lord. So if you're following along in the outline, that's the first thing we're gonna talk about is wait on the Lord. It'll be the majority of the message, the first eight verses. What an awful four letter word, right? Wait. It goes against every fiber of our being. Wait on the Lord. In the first eight verses, we learn three things. The waiting, is now over, as we'll see in the first three verses, and then trust has been vindicated, verse four and five, and then personal commitment to do God's will in verses six through eight. The waiting is now over, the first three verses. Follow along as I read, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Our trials 
can be the result of several different sources, right? They come directly from God. Uh, For example, the discipline or the redirection of our life. They can come from the evil one as the evil one is attacking us and they can also come from our own consequences of choices that we have made in this life. So our trials can come from, from different angles and sometimes we never know where they're coming from and sometimes it isn't really all that important where they're coming from. It's what we do with them. And in this instance, David was coming out of a season of God's discipline, most likely due to his own sin. And no matter the source of our trial, whether God caused it or whether God is allowing it, there's always something to learn in the midst of a trial. Now we begin to see the other side of the waiting for David. The trial is over. And David begins to reflect on the blessing of waiting on God. I waited patiently for the Lord, he says. He turned to me and he heard my cry. But let's not scurry too quickly past the idea of waiting patiently for the Lord. It's a key piece to this entire passage. So let's consider the idea of waiting. It's probably one of the hardest things that we will ever encounter. None of us like to wait. I have yet to meet a person who comes up to me and says, Andy, you know what I really love to do? No, I really don't. What do you love to do? I just love to wait. I just love it. When we find out the package that we ordered on Amazon is now being delivered today instead of tomorrow, right? Our body releases endorphins and we're so elated, we're so excited. When someone in front of us doesn't go, the second that the light turns green, we are ready to blast them into oblivion, right? Send them into a full panic attack because we can't wait. But waiting, friends, has a two-sided coin. On one side, we wait with great anticipation and excitement. On the other side, uh, we wait with anxiety and dread and even agony at times. But when David begins to speak in verse one, we know that his waiting on God was anticipation of relief of God's discipline. And David's example of waiting is a great example of the way God carries out his plans and his purposes in each of our lives. It reminds me of Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For the good has no timing attached to it. For the good might be an hour, for the good might be a day, for the good might be a week, for the good might be a month, for the good might be a year, for the good might be several years, for the good for your good. If you go to your phone and look under settings and Bluetooth, what you will not find is that God's watch is is not connected to your phone, therefore it's not connected to your calendar. He certainly cares for our suffering through trials, but he cares more about his perfect timing and accomplishing his purpose in our trial. The other night we splurged and got Papa Murphy's pizza. Do you ever splurge and do that? It's usually, I call it splurging. It's usually when Lori's not home and I have to figure out what to eat. Thin crust pepperoni with pineapple on it. Ew, I know, I used to hate that too. But I said to Siri, hey Siri, Set timer for 12 minutes. And it made me think, 
wouldn't it be nice to say to God, hey God, set the timer for 24 hours and let's have this be done. Waiting on God is hard. Some of you are waiting on God for direction because you need to know which way to go. You're in the midst of a decision. Some of you are waiting on God for relief. Some of you are waiting on God for medical answers and healing. Yet others are waiting for the heaviness of grief to be lifted or to be rescued from the darkness of depression. Some of you are waiting on God to heal your marriage, waiting on God for a loved one's salvation, waiting on God for clarity, waiting on God for renewed hope. When was the last time you complained to God that he showed up too early? Our complaint is always that he's late. We usually need him to act now. Isaiah 40, 31 resembles that. It says this, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. The word wait in that passage, Isaiah 40, 31, maybe you're familiar with that, is this idea to hope, to anticipate, and to trust. The promise in Isaiah 40, 31 is renewed strength. If you're willing to wait upon the Lord, your strength will be renewed. What does that mean? Renewed means changed. It means to alter and then to revive again or to cause flourish again. If you've ever been out running or involved in any kind of strenuous activity, um, they describe what's called the second wind. On Friday, uh, I was helping somebody blow insulation into the attic of a garage. And my job was to stand in this plastic tent that had been created and there was this machine, this hopper, that you had to continually feed insulation into and they came in bales. Maybe you've done this before. You cut open the bales and the insulation just explodes all over the place and you're grabbing it, throwing it in there. And uh, I wasn't prepared. I had really thick sweatpants on. I had a sweatshirt on. Uh, the garage was heated and I, you had to have one of those N95, whatever they're called, masks on. You had goggles on. I mean, I was drenched. Sweat was just pouring off of me. And for two hours straight, I'm doing this. And I'm like, is this ever going to end? And then when it was done, it was like the ability to sit down and grab some water, and it was that second wind. If we wait upon the Lord, he will give us a second wind. He will renew us and he will revive us. But a couple things to think about when we, when we look at passages like Psalm 40 or Isaiah 40, here's two things to think about. Number one, don't abandon what God may be wanting to do in your life. Don't be so quick to blame it on someone else. Don't be so quick to blame it on the world. It may be God using it in your life and in the long run, you will look back with joy and you'll be glad that you waited. You'll be glad that you trusted God because he and only he can provide you with the strength that you need. It's, it's James when he talks about, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters in Christ. When you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith builds perseverance. But there's a second piece, right? Don't be too quick to come to someone else's aid when God is allowing them to go through a trial of their own. 
We wanna jump in, we wanna play God and helping them out of their trial as quickly as possible. Let God be God and trust him for others' lives as well. We're quick to counsel people in the direction of least resistance to the place where it won't hurt so bad. And sometimes what God must do in our lives will hurt and it'll hurt really bad sometimes. We could say to others, let me seek God with you and see what God's up to. We can offer wisdom, but where does wisdom come from? He who is without wisdom asks the Lord, right? And wisdom doesn't always direct people from the pain. During trials when you're feeling weak and when you're feeling tired or you're feeling frustrated, boldly ask God to have his way and to teach you whatever it is that he wants you to know about him. Because that's usually what's happening in the midst of a trial. He's trying to reveal something to you about himself. Realize that even the difficulties of life are about him and your relationship with him. As hard as it is to get our mind around it, one of the greatest blessings from God is to wait. Just wait. Answer to prayer may not be immediate. But through our perseverance in prayer, our waiting expresses itself in humble submission to God's sovereignty and a longing for God's faithfulness. Our waiting expresses itself in humble submission to God's sovereignty and a longing for God's faithfulness. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. He turned and he heard, he lifted and he set. He turned and he heard, he lifted and he set. In verses two and three, David is pointing to a recent dilemma of crisis in his life. He is reporting to the congregation, so to speak, of the Lord's relief after this lengthy period of prayer, after this lengthy time of waiting, the Lord freed him from this distress. The words slimy pit, mud, and mire lead themselves to the idea of, of dying and death, or at least the sensation or the feeling of that. And while he could have been referencing many things, it's quite possible he's speaking of a severe illness here that took him to the edge of death, again, that we read about in Psalm 38. The Lord lifted him out of the pit. This pit has the idea of a cistern or a prison or a dungeon or even a grave suggesting this desolate experience. Have you ever had that? A place of aloneness and no hope of being rescued. Some have suggested this pit as to have this, these noisy, roaring waters causing the slime on the walls that he describes, making it impossible for one to cling to the walls and impossible uh, to climb out on his own. His feet were stuck in the mud, making it impossible to move on his own, causing him to feel heavy, to feel stuck, to feel gripped, to feel weighed down. The mire showing us 
There's no rock in the pit on which to stand, nothing but clay. But as he waited on the Lord, he lifted him out and he set his feet on a rock, solid ground with this, this stable footing, a place of strength, a place of safety. He put a new song in my mouth, he said. And the idea is that he had given him a new or a, a fresh occasion for praise. The deliverance was so incredible and was so far greater than any other mercies that he had ever received from the Lord thus far that a new expression of thanks was appropriate. That's what he's trying to describe. So, so David is showing a pattern of, of prayer here. He begins in the first few verses thanking God before he ever begins asking God. Notice that. That's a key piece here. Before we ever ask God for anything, let us take the time to reflect and acknowledge God's faithfulness and answered prayer. We have this um, small dining chest that we decided to get rid of. And so I put it on Facebook Marketplace. And if you, know, if you follow, do my marketplace at all now, it's like, oh, who do I believe? What's going on here? And we get all these responses and people, yep, I want it, I'll show up, I'll give you this, would you take this? None of it panned out after a, a lengthy time. So Lori and I um, last week said, hey, maybe God's saying just give it away. So we decided let's just give it away. And when we decided let's just give it away, we said, why don't we pray and ask God that whoever he has in mind would get it. Let's do that. And so we prayed. And I kid you not, uh, probably within five minutes, I don't know, got a message from somebody in this congregation who said, is it still available? I said, yes. She said, I'll take it. It's for my son whose house burnt to the ground and they need furniture and this chest will fit in this perfect spot and it matches the woodwork exactly. A common phrase for Lori and I is thank you God. She tends to express it more uh, verbally out, out loud and I tend to express it more internally. But thank you God. Before we get to verses 11 through 17 and start asking God for more, we are reminded of the importance of saying, thank you, God. <clears throat> verses four through eight, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders that you have done, the things that you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. But let's take a closer look at verse six for just a second because this is interesting because David is writing during the days of the Old Testament when the burnt offerings and the sin offerings were actually required. But David is not minimizing those things as much as he's drawn attention to the right heart attitude when doing those things. 
So he says, but my ears, my ears, Lord, you have opened, meaning you have opened my understanding to what you really want from me. What God really wants from David and from us is to care about the why and the reason that God asks us to do things and obey. Whether it's a sacrifice for David or for us, it's to love God and to love others. As a command of the New Testament. It has way less to do with going through the motions of the law, or in this case, a command, and way more to do with the motivation of the heart and our love for God. Don't let what God asks of us to become such a meaningless part of religion. That's what happened to the Israelites. So David is pointing out, you have awakened me to the depth of understanding as to why you ask this of me. Going through the motions, friends, is one of the key factors in our pull towards religion and our push away from a relationship with Christ going through the motions. They had gotten to a point of thinking, I can live any way that I want and I will bring my sacrifice to the next festival. I'm good. Often the satisfaction of religion, going through the motions, is the effect of a disconnect with God. When God is distant, Religion is close. Always remember this, God never moves. Anytime you experience a distancing with God, he didn't move. We can find ourselves just coming to church, mouthing a few lyrics to songs, checked out during the message, saying hi to a couple people on the way out and then going about our week. Never once singing praises to God, listening to the teaching of God's word and considering how might I apply this to my own life, caring for and fellowshipping with other brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm a pastor, this is my calling, this is what I do and I can find myself in that place. But it's my desperate need of a relationship with Jesus that keeps me singing praises to God and engaged with the teaching of God's word. Verse seven, then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. So whenever a king took the place on a throne, for the first time he was given a personal scroll of the Torah that he was to keep and he was to read often. What David wants more than anything else is a heart of obedience. This very statement, is fulfilled in the New Testament. This exact statement is fulfilled in the New Testament when the writer of Hebrews speaks about Jesus in Hebrews 10, five through seven, listen to this. Therefore, this is the writer of Hebrews now in the New Testament. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. So, so these couple of verses in Psalm 40 are actually prophetic or messianic, so to speak, in that they anticipate the, uh, Jesus and the work that he would do. Reminding us that the Old Testament, and, and I, I would encourage you to do this, anytime that you're reading in the Old Testament, look for um, any kind of pointing towards Jesus, because it's often there. I wonder how many more 
things David wrote in the Psalms were actually fulfilled in the person of Christ, many. So I wait on the Lord. Secondly, speak to the Lord, verses nine and 10. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. David is, is saying to the Lord, I have been faithful to tell other people about all of your goodness. He has this great inner compulsion to speak about God. He says, I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness. I cannot keep quiet. Does that remind you of any other passage in the Old Testament? Jeremiah 20, verse nine. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I must speak of it, Jeremiah said. The things that are most precious to us, we talk about. The things that we get excited about, we talk about. We speak most often about that which we value. Jesus has radically changed our lives. Let his goodness and let his faithfulness always be on our lips. Wait on the Lord. Speak of the Lord. Thirdly, trust in the Lord. Verses 11 through 17. As life and God's purpose would have it, David again takes up a waiting position. So he's come full circle again. Whatever the Lord has done in the past, there is this ongoing, this urgent need for his concern and for his freedom again. So David is now using his past deliverance in, in crying out to God for his current need. In other words, he is leaning on God's faithfulness of the past as a predictor of God's faithfulness in the present and the future. Verse 11, do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. Verse 12, for troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Is saying David's sorrows pointing to the sin, David's sorrows pointing to the sin that gave Jesus the name man of sorrows. Verse 13, be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, help me. Help me to say, take away this pain. Take away these sorrows. Many of you are praying that right now. Verse 14, May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back to disgrace. More than a wish, it is a confident expectation that God will deal with evil. Verse 15, may those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame saying, let them be astonished, let them be amazed. May they never experience success, but rather be like waste. Again, David's plea for God to deal with evil men and their disobedient ways is his cry. Verse 16, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great, the Lord is great. 
But everyone who desires to know you, God, may they find you and find favor with you. Verse 17, but as for me, I am poor, I am needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help, you are my deliverer, you are my God. Do not delay. God, take care of those who are evil. Welcome those who seek you. But as for me, I'm afflicted, I am poor, I'm struggling again. All I have is you. You are my only resource, my only help. Don't forget about me. All sorrow, hardship, difficulties, calamity, trials can be tolerated when we know that God has not forgotten us. We may be calm when all the whole world forsakes us. If we can know and be assured that our great and faithful God thinks about us, and will never cease to remember us. Psalm 18 is where we started. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, in whom I have refuge. He is my stronghold. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He leads me into green pasture. Maybe you remember, can sometimes lead us even into the valleys purposefully, feeling as though I'm close to death, but his rod and his staff, they protect me and green pastures will come again. Psalm 27 from last week, the Lord is my light and salvation. I'm not afraid. He is my stronghold. My greatest desire is to always be in God's presence. I see your goodness, God. Today, the Lord is my rescuer. I wanna leave you with one thing and then, um, well, again, uh, Anthony and the praise team will start to play and as soon as you hear music, please feel free to come forward. And again, elders, if you're here uh, with your wives, if you want, you can come down or, or find a place in the auditorium or um, pastors, if you're here and your wives, you can come down front as well or find another place. We just wanna be here, friends, for you. Um, if you need prayer, no matter what it is, maybe some of you will come and say, I wanna know Jesus, I don't know him. And today's the day. Some of you will come for various reasons. You're in a dark place. You're in a hard place. You're in a season of waiting. Some of you are struggling personally. Some of your marriages are struggling, your families, whatever it might be. We wanna pray with you. The one thing is this, it's found in Psalm 91, one and two. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. Amen.